This morning's passage is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, our Redeemer, our King. Lord, in your goodness, in your sovereignty, Lord, you saved us through Jesus. Lord, you redeemed us. Lord, you brought us from a place of spiritual death. And you've brought us to life in Jesus Christ, Lord, so we can enjoy you forever. Lord, we we make much of you this morning as we continue to worship you through the preaching of your word and in song as we take the Lord's Supper. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. ever hear the um, like the term timeless I feel like it's on like every diamond commercial you know like get your girl a diamond they're timeless kind of thing you guys ever hear that word all right I want to give you a proper understanding of what the word timeless means are you ready the gecko remember the commercials the gecko camel not or the Geico, Geico, not the gecko. See, it's in your head. The camel, not the little Geico lizard thing, and not the caveman. It's the camel. Do you guys remember the camel commercials? Camel walks in the office, and he's like, hey, what day is it? What day is it? What day is it? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it? And somebody finally is like, you know, it's Wednesday. He's like, hum day, woo-hoo. You know, he's like, because he's a camel, and he has a hump, and it's Wednesday, and Wednesday's hump day. You get it? 
All right, kids, I know you don't have a clue what we're talking about. Your parents can look it up. They can show you the commercial later, all right? All right, why am I telling you about the camel? All right, two reasons. First, if you just, like, happen to know a Mike, maybe, I don't know, he's one of the pastors at your church or something, and you were thinking, I wonder how I could, like, you know, say hi. Timeless. Mike, 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 Mike. Just throw that out, leave that there for you. You guys know what to do with that. Second reason, all right, second reason, real reason, this is kind of the Wednesday, if you will, of our look at this one long Greek sentence that goes in our Bible from verse 3 to verse 14. Last week, we kind of had the beginning. Remember, we laid out all of those puzzle pieces. And this week, we're right in the middle. And you don't have the excitement of the new thing, and you don't quite have the excitement of what comes next. You just are in the middle with the work. And that's where we're at. So I'm going to just ask you to lean in, take good notes, and just work this week, all right? It's where we're at. It's the Wednesday. It's good stuff. And it's deep. It has so many layers, and I think it can be a blessing. But I'm just owning it. Even for my end, I don't have a lot that's just going to kind of help entertain us along through it. We're just going to get in the Word, and we're going to work. And ask that the Lord would give us the wisdom to have a deeper understanding of who He is and who He's called us to be. And last week, if you remember, when we laid out kind of some of those puzzle pieces, we started with the subject, God, the great I am. Who is he? See, Paul begins there in verse 3, and he says, blessed be God. God is supreme, and it is this revelation that God is, that he is the great I am, that defines creation absolutely, all of it. And so therefore, Paul, seeking to encourage the Ephesians, who he dearly loves, he points them to who God is. And we're getting that unpacked in this, like, this really long run-on sentence, and I'm just going to be honest, it's pretty repetitious. It's just going to repeat a lot of stuff again and again and again and again. But it's coming back to this depth of who God is. And as he lays this out for them, he is reminding them that they are called according to his purpose. And that's our big truth, that Jesus' followers are called according to his purpose. And when you look at verses 3 through 12, you're not going to see the word calling. Here, it's a description. It's describing it. Now, Paul's going to use the term calling throughout Ephesians. You're going to see it again in chapter 1, verse 18. He'll say, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Ephesians 4.1, a verse we're going to hear throughout our study so much. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. A few verses later in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. So he'll use the term call, but here what we have in the beginning is really the description of of what a calling is, and that is to be set apart. It just means to be set apart. 
And we have this tendency in like our modern thinking to kind of over-mystify this term, to make it somehow this mystical thing that we feel our way through. And I just want to tell you, keep it really simple. The main thing is the plain thing. The plain thing is the main thing. That's the way it works when we study. It's there. Calling means to be set apart. I mean, be careful as a church. Listen, I think we probably use the calling term to more easily take God's name in vain than any other thing in the church. We so flippantly will be like, God called me too, and then fill in the blank. We're tempted to wait our will and just throw God's name in on top of it. I mean, think about that. When you communicate God's call, you are taking the name of God and his work and his action, and you are saying it is on this thing. It's a heavy thing. So here, Paul is teaching, and he's writing to the Ephesians, and he says to be in Christ is to be called, to be set apart. Jesus' followers are called they are in Christ they are set apart in him according to his purpose according to his will and so what we're going to see is a bunch of big ideas this morning implications that just help us break that down let's go through them verse three blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So a quick review from last week. Jesus' followers are blessed in Christ. Jesus is Lord. He is supreme. And all blessings are in him. Remember what John writes in John chapter 3, verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And in Jesus, you have it all. How does this happen? Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Jesus' followers are chosen in Christ. Before the creator spoke the world into existence, he chose you. God, the one true sovereign God, the great I am, chose to bless you and Jesus with every spiritual blessing. Church, listen, you didn't choose it. You didn't earn it. You didn't take it. When the choice was made, you nor the creation in which you dwell was, but the supreme God was, is, and is to come. And he chose to bless you with his son. Why? Paul gives us the purpose that we should be holy and blameless before him. Keep reading. We see our motive, our next big idea. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. Jesus' followers are adopted in Christ. So Paul keeps reinforcing this idea, this 
revelation, this doctrinal truth of who God is, and he says he predestined us. That word literally means he predetermined or he appointed beforehand. In love, he appointed, he called your adoption to himself. Not according to your will, but according to the purpose of his will. And to picture this, he uses this notion of adoption. That in Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God as sons. Joint heirs with Jesus. Who holds all blessings. I think Paul does a beautiful job explaining this in Romans 8. Let me read it to you, then we'll kind of just break it all down. I'm going to pick up a little earlier in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That should sound familiar from last week. That's death to self, life in Jesus' terms. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we're getting this picture painted that we are adopted out of the family of Adam, that first created man, into the family of God. This picture of adoption largely holds in our minds. There's not much different that we would think of adoption today than they would have those first century readers in our New Testament, those guys in Ephesians. They wouldn't have thought much different about it than us. Probably the only struggle we have in getting our mind back to the authorial intent of adoption is our individualism is really foreign to the way they think. So we don't quite think through the same lens of family rights as Paul would have written this to them and they perceived it. So what's that mean? The family of Adam in which we are born into is cursed, enslaved to sin. And the guaranteed outcome of that family is death, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's death. Meanwhile, the family of God is holy in Christ Jesus, and the guaranteed outcome is eternal life, because life is in him. Now, Paul breaks this down in Romans chapter 5, and earlier in verse 12, he says, just as sin came into the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. He goes on in verse 17 and he says this, now listen, for if because of one man's trespass, sin, Adam, death reigned through that one man, 
much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, catch that theme, we'll see that later, who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So Paul's laying out this contrast of Adam and Jesus. In Adam, there's sin, there's death. In Jesus, there is grace, life, and the gift of his holiness, his righteousness. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass, speaking of Adam's, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness in Jesus leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam's, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, speaking of Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The family of Adam standing with God is forfeited by our sin. But by grace, in and through Jesus, redemption to sonship is made possible. Adoption pictures this. See, adopted children take their position by grace. I was born into my family, but my family has adopted people into my family as well. And I always kind of thought it was kind of cool I mean, my mom had no idea what kind of mess I would be, right? She didn't get to pick anything. There's no picking. There's no choosing. I always thought, man, what a cool thing that is. That those parents would see you, choose you, and bring you into everything they have. Adopted children have their position by grace through which, watch, they share the same rights as birth children, as those who were born into it. And so, for us in this context, we are now joint heirs with Jesus. And he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Born into the family of Adam, sinful, broken, doomed, death. By the grace of God, called, set apart, taken from and placed into the family of God. Not as slaves, not as servants, but as sons, joint heirs with Jesus, by whose blood the redemption takes place. By, which, by whose blood our standing is secure. 
And so Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 4, verse 3, and he says, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Family of Adam. Listen to what he says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then a joint heir through God. See, Paul is encouraging us. Church, be encouraged. Paul's encouraging us, not by telling you how great you are. Oh, you're so great. Let me tell you all that God got when he adopted you. No, that's not what's happening. Watch. Be humbled and be truly encouraged. You had nothing You offered nothing. You did nothing. And yet God in his love appointed your adoption into his family. He called you out of the family of Adam into his precious family. By the riches of his glorious grace, he called you to himself. Where you now stand as sons through Jesus Christ, joint heirs with him, recipients of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in verse 6. We'll come back to verse 6 in just a second, but for right now, let's keep going to our next big idea in verse 7. In him we have redemption, Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus' followers are redeemed in Christ. So this term redemption, it just means to be brought back. To be brought back. It's the idea of being set free from someone or something that is oppressing you, that has hold on you. So in Jesus, we are adopted out of our cursed family that is enslaved to sin. And we are set apart. We are called into Jesus, into his holiness, according to his purpose or his will. We are brought back into peace, into right standing or right fellowship with God. We are redeemed. That's what it means. And therefore, our trespass, our sin, has been forgiven. It no longer is held to us. It no longer holds us. We have been set free. How is this accomplished? It is accomplished in the blood of Jesus, who he is, fully God, supreme, holy, perfect, righteous, And what he has done, sacrificially dying in our place. Paul describes this in Colossians, same thing. Colossians 1, he writes to them and he reminds them of who God is and he talks about the supremacy 
and the preeminence of Jesus. And in verse 19, it says, For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, listen, making peace by the blood of his cross. We studied this in Hebrews chapter 9. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from their transgressions committed under the first covenant. A death occurred. God took on flesh. Jesus died on a cross paying the penalty, paying the death that is ours. So that in his resurrected life through faith, we may have life. And so we have redemption through the blood of Jesus. Our freedom is in his blood, who he is and what he has done. And this morning as we take the Lord's Supper, remember, be thankful. And see your identity in him. And just real quick, I want to pause here and also say, be careful. Be careful right here. Because freedom in Christ isn't freedom to self. Again, we, I think, feel like we mess that up a lot. Like in Romans chapter 6, we want to make sure you catch this context of adoption that's happening here. Paul says you were once slaves of sin in the family of Adam, but now in Jesus, verse 18, having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Verse 22, but now, again, in Jesus, that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, grace, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's happening? I thought we were sons and now we're slaves. How does that work? Listen, there's this modern tension that we have in Western thought around the idea of personal freedom. I need to make sure you get something. It's important. We are not the authority. He is God. He is supreme. He is the great I am. We are not the authority. We are not the authority while we are separated from God in the family of Adam, in our sin. Nor are we the authority when we are redeemed. We are not set free to ourselves we are not set free to our own will. We are not set free to our own standard. Conversion, death to self, life in Jesus. So Paul is describing here that being in Jesus is like being enslaved to righteousness. He's saying we exist for him, our holiness, our standing, our freedom, our life. All of it is in him. In Jesus, you are not set free to self. You are bound to him. 
You have been called to him. You have been set apart in him. And therefore, you are enslaved by the righteousness of his blood because his blood is your blood. You have been set apart, called into him. Therefore, I urge you, walk, live according to your calling. Life is in him. Keep going. You'll see our next big idea. He says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to to the riches of his grace. Jesus' followers are in Christ by grace. By grace. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. He chose you, appointing you for adoption into his family. By his authority and love, you have been set apart, called into life in Jesus to the praise of his glorious grace. Not to the praise of his grace and a little bit of your wisdom or a little bit of your strength. No, no, listen. This glorious adoption is the complete work of his grace And not to get too far ahead, but that's what Paul's going to build out here. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated us, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Our redeeming adoption from the family of Adam into the family of God is a gift. It is a gift according to the riches of God's glorious grace given in sacrificial love. How do we respond? Blessed be God. How do we respond? In conviction. I have been Blessed in Jesus. Keep going. The riches of his grace, verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Jesus' followers are enlightened in Christ. This is incredible. Notice how we're blessed. Uh, Six times in Ephesians, we're going to see this term, the riches of God, 
or the riches of his grace. And each time, it is something that is revealed. It's something that's made available. It's presented, given. And it describes this eternal treasure of absolute value that is beyond our ability to measure. It's beyond our understanding. We can't get our minds around it fully. It is beyond the fleeting wealth of this world. We're talking about something different than like, you know, you got a good meal and you get a like hashtag blessed, look, check it out, that was a great steak. No, we're talking about something much more than this. It's beyond our understanding. And so here you see this word lavish used, we're using the ESV. And what's being said is, watch, in Jesus, God pours out more blessing on us than we can understand. In Jesus, God has poured out more blessing on you than you can fathom. You can summarize it. You can say, Jesus, in him, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You can summarize it, but you cannot fathom the fullness of such grace. And yet, God made himself known, the word became flesh, and accomplished our redeeming work. And now, God has revealed to you this unfathomable, easy for me to say, grace. Think about that. It's grace upon grace. Not only did he accomplish the redemptive work, he revealed himself and the mystery of his will to you. Mystery here, not because it's hidden. We know from Romans 1, the entire Godhead can be discerned in creation. Not because it's hidden. Listen, because you were enslaved in the family of Adam to your sin. You were in the dark, unable to see. And God, in the riches of his grace, came in and turned on the light. Making known the glorious grace that is in Jesus. What a God. Just a side note here. Wish we had, I wish I could just take a whole morning and chase this. There's two great terms, and I want to hold them out because we use these handles at Tri-Cities called Big Truth and Big Ideas. They're in our sermons. They're in the family discipleship plan. They're just handles, but they have a biblical root, and you see them here. I, you have wisdom, which is the understanding of the heart of the truth, and then you have insight, which is really the discernment of every artery of that truth. You say, what do you mean? The idea of wisdom is the reality, the proclaimed doctrine is there. Jesus loves me. Truth, yes, get it. The insight is the discernment of how that truth has implication 
into every aspect of our life, how it saturates all things. It is so big, I cannot get my mind around it fully. But by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, I understand it more deeply each and every day and how it applies to my life. You see these things, a big truth that is the doctrinal reality that you say, God, this is your revealed word. It is true. I claim it. It is reality. And there is a big idea, an implication, an insight of how that reality saturates my entire life. We see that here in this passage. Let's keep going. I want you to notice this next big idea. Jesus' followers are in Christ according to his purpose. Jesus is sovereign. We've been seeing this throughout this entire passage. If you go back, it says, according to the purpose of his will in verse 5. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Jesus' followers are called according to his purpose. God is sovereign. He is supreme. He has no rival, no peer. His will is not threatened. His control is not in question. In his plan for the fullness of time, he has revealed himself and the riches of his grace to the praise of his glorious grace. In other words, we exist by him, for him. Our life is in him. And I'll just say it this way. Sometimes we struggle with the idea of a sovereign God. And we're tempted to try to figure out all the systems and all the structures and the way it all works. But just understand the clear proclamation that is here in the word of God. He is sovereign. And I think sometimes it would do us well to just step back and ask the opposite. Would you prefer he not be? Would he be God if not sovereign? See, if God is not sovereign, he's not supreme. If he's not supreme, he's not in control. If he's not in control, his will is not certain. And if his will is not certain, church, his promises are not secure. If God is not sovereign, he is not God. Not the God he has revealed himself to be. And so Jesus' followers are in Christ according to his purpose. Jesus is sovereign. Be encouraged. You can rest in him. You can have security in him. You can have everlasting hope in him. Blessed be our Lord and God. 
back and look at verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Jesus' followers are united in Christ. Jesus is preeminent. In Christ, you are called, set apart into a purpose, designed. Your adoption is no accident. You have been united with all things in Jesus. He and he alone is your identity, not in part, but in full. You are in Christ or you are condemned. You are in the family of God by the blood of Jesus or you remain in the family of Adam condemned to death for your sin. Let me say it to you a different way that gets on our toes. This would be, I'd be guilty of this too. It's just a challenge. Just think through it this way. Show me a person who takes great pride in their earthly identities and I will show you a person with a low view of Christ. Your gender, your race, your employer, your family name, your nationality, all these things have purpose. But these things do not even make up a fraction of your identity. You are not American and in Jesus. You are just in Jesus. Paul writes this to the Galatians and he says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as are baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And so as the team comes up and we prepare to go into a time of response, be reminded of our big truth. Jesus' followers are called according to his purpose. We have been set apart to be redeemed in the blood of Jesus. Not by our work or our effort, but by the very grace of God for the purpose of his will, to his praise. Just in closing, I want to read to you from Romans 8, verse 28. And just listen, set aside the distractions and just let the word of God teach you, encourage you. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God, the great I am, is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how? He not also with him graciously give us all things. You are blessed, not because of who you are, but because of who God is. You have hope 
salvation, identity, holiness, purpose in Jesus. He is fully God and all blessings are in him. So be encouraged by his blood. You have been redeemed, adopted, called according to his purpose. You were dead and now you are alive. By God's grace, you are in Jesus. And so let us walk, live in a manner worthy of our calling. Heavenly Father, you are God. Lead us into a response that makes much of you and glorifies you with our lives. In Jesus' name.